Hi, welcome to the ACA, Adult Children Voices Across America Speaker Meeting. If you'd like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org, click on Online Meetings, and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Tonight's speaker is David from Coconut Grove, Florida. Good to be here. So, uh, it's actually a very auspicious day. It's my 70th birthday today. It's also my 24th anniversary at AA. Got sober on my birthday, which wasn't a plan. It just happened, you know. Turned out to be the best gift you could get. Also, it's an anniversary of 21 years in this fellowship. And I kind of qualify for all of them, but those are the big three. I, I, uh, I had spent time with Al-Anon when my son was in college. <laughs> Just, you know, keep that in perspective. And uh, um, Nicotine Anonymous was pretty good. I quit that 24 year, 23 years ago. Um, so it's a good day for me, you know. Um, I could get a bucket of coal for my birthday and I'd be happy camper. So, uh, but I was, uh, actually I was raised in Connecticut and uh, to a pretty nice family, although with some serious dysfunction. Um, my, uh, my dad's childhood would curl your hair, as Jerry Garcia would say, if I told you everything that went down, it would burn off all your hair. And he survived it, but it messed with him his whole life. He lived with guilt and shame and uh, really caught up to him more later in life where he just, uh, you can't suppress that kind of shame, abandonment, terror, you know, for so long, we've done a lot of work and science has done a lot of work with the ACE, the Adverse Childhood Experience. And we know a whole lot more about how much childhood trauma affects you permanently, mentally, spiritually, and physically. And that's the area I work in as well. Um, I mean, my parents were married to each other three times. I think, you know, they were more miserable apart than they were together. I remember their 50th anniversary, they kept looking at me like, you're not gonna make a toast about it. it's supposed to be concurrent, you know, but I spared them that. I, uh, I helped take care of my parents the last 15 years of their life. I was a tag along, so I didn't have a big angst with them. Uh, my oldest brothers do, and my oldest brother's probably the most damaged. And uh, my middle brother died of a heart attack about five years ago, probably from the cortisol that dumped into his system as a child. Now, these opinions are my own. There's some science in there from ACE, but, you know, this is my own take on the world. So one of the interesting things going through the yellow book with my therapist, which is how I did it the first time, um, you know, different events in my childhood. And, and one of them was a quote unquote accident where I drank kerosene at three years old on a construction site and ended up in a hospital, collapsed lungs. And it was an accident, right? You know? And my therapist says to me, David, would you let your son run around loose on a construction site? And I said, no. She said, you know, you were abandoned on a construction site. It wasn't so many things that happened from our parents. Our parents had their own dysfunction, brought their own baggage and their own psychoses. You know, it wasn't an intentional one, but the result was I ended up in a hospital. Um, and I had to look at that and go, hmm. You know, we're abandoned. You can be abandoned in a room full of people. But uh, I used to go camping by myself when I was eight, and I liked it. I had two older brothers and a house full of people, but it was quiet. 
It was very, the wild animals were out there. They were very peaceful. The house, not so much, you know. But uh, I had uh, I had many things happen to me. I had uh, some covert sexual abuse by an eye doctor that I got. My parents split up first big time was when I was 12 and uh, got sent to a boarding school, which is a hotbed of dysfunction, you know, with very rich families dysfunction, as well as scholarship students like myself. And I suffered some sexual abuse at that school. And actually, the, the predators can spy you out. They know how to find you. And I actually quit that school, Ivy League school, and uh, uh, went on to be a hippie in Cambridge and uh, never looked back. And don't regret that. You know, um, I've lived a wonderful life. So I, uh, so I ended up in, in uh, Cambridge and uh, went to California a few times. And then uh, uh, one of my memories was uh, we were actually in Woodstock the year before Woodstock traveling with some of the tail end of the Merry Pranksters. And I went into a package store to buy some rolling papers. You know, we were doing the high stuff, you know. And there was an old guy in there who was, didn't look very good. He's probably 40. You know, I turned 70 today. And he was buying a pint. And I looked at him and I looked down on him. You know, I said, he didn't look too good. You know, we were hip slick and cool, you know. And a number of years later, I'm buying a pint. And I went, you know, it's one of those, uh, you know, elements that help you with that moment of clarity. And long story short, I ended up getting, you know, I, I'd been married. I had a son. I did some great music, television, and uh, had some success and some failures and uh, ended up uh, getting sober in, in Fort Lickerdale, Fort Lauderdale. Moved from New Orleans to Fort Lauderdale to get sober. You figure that one out. And then I, uh, uh, and that was a remarkable thing. You know, it was my hope and my energy was pretty much gone. You know, um, I contend today that a lot of people who try to get sober and don't um, are because the emotions and memories, verbal and nonverbal from childhood come and strike them and they're unable to process that. And the only defense is what they always use, which was to drink or some other of the, uh, the chest of, uh, what is it we call the, the, the chest of uh, uh, drugs or whatever, it's, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, power, fame. <clears throat> I was lucky I got sober. I was desperate to be sober. I wanted to be sober. Um, and I was very fortunate because I'm not a Christian. I had some very problematic experiences with a Christian church. And a friend of mine was badly abused by a priest. And I kind of like, you know, I don't really have anything against them. I'll pray to Jesus sometime to protect me from his followers. But uh, um, I, I discovered a uh, book called Zen Recovery, which I still use to this day, which took the Eightfold Path of Buddhism and relates it to the 12 steps. And uh, there's a monk in San Francisco named Mel Ash who wrote it. And it's very, very good. And it's also... Most really good AA speakers or AA teachers are ACA. I've never met anybody in AA that's not an ACA. Sometimes it's the grandparents instead of the parents. Now, there's a lot of denial. I mean, there's a statistic I read, I'm not sure it's absolutely true, but that 50% of the people who are raised in an alcoholic family deny that their parents are alcoholic. And I know a lot of people in AA who are like, 
hey, you know, my parents were alcoholic. I said, I was having my cousin here. She'll like this. I was having dinner with my uncle in, in uh, Sun City West many years ago. I was sober and uh, and I made comment. I said, Ro, you know, your dad was an alcoholic. And he said, I don't know if he's an alcoholic. I said, Ro, he died drinking grain alcohol. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, that bottle of whiskey just didn't do it for him anymore. I'm like, you know, I mean, the things that people say, you know. But I was very fortunate. And, and about three years into... Uh, into recovery, you know, there's a couple of things. I didn't think I ever had any fear. I'd been on my own since 16, 17 and lived through the streets and survived a lot of things. And uh, I did have fear. I had fear of whether I counted or not, you know. And I didn't think I had any codependence. But boy, that one snuck up and smacked me in the head about three years sober. I had a relationship that was one of those relationships that was like 10% great. 10% okay and 80% horrendous. <laughs> and it's like, I would do whatever I could to try to make that 80% go down to 70%. And one night, New Year's night, as a matter of fact, in 1999, I said, wait a second, you know, the only one I can change is me. It's not, she's going to be who she is, you know, and she still is many years later. And the next day is when I started looking at ACA and read the, read the characteristics of an adult child, which is actually the laundry list. The therapist kind of filed the serial numbers off of it. And I was in. And uh, and it's been a great journey. I mean, I'm still an active member of AA, but ACA is my primary recovery. Um, I, I, I'll go to AA meetings and listen to some speakers. And, and uh, then I ask them if they've ever been to ACA. So I'm a little sneaky like that. But I carry the message, and I, uh, I, I was my ACA was problematical. This is 2000. We'd gotten down by the time the Red Book came out in 2006. We were down to less than 300 meetings nationwide, and uh, and the meeting I went to, the first one I went to in 2000, was what I call a wine and cheese meeting. There was a little bit of whining and a lot of cheese. And I escaped about halfway through, and I was glad I didn't put my hand up. And I said, I'm David, I'm an alcoholic and an ACA because the knives might have come out. It was one of those meetings, you know. And so um, I went to the books. I, there was a book, uh, Janet Wurlitz. Wurlitzer, I can't say her name right. A very famous, one of the first really big books about adult children of alcoholic and dysfunctional families. I'm not a big fan of Bradshaw, but I'm a fan of hers. And about five of my friends in AA, we all got this book and we used to have this closed meeting together and read it. And it was awesome because we could identify and we started to understand what the problem was, but they didn't really have a solution, none that we had found. And uh, I did some good work with therapists that actually come to find out what we call the critical parent, where they made a, a, a list of the things that... Uh, uh, the tape she played in your mind, right? That, and you had to take, take, uh, I had them right here. Here they are. You had to take them and write them down and cut them in a little piece of paper and put them in your wallet. And when you thought them, you pulled them out and you went, that's just a tape I'm playing. Like what we talked about the critical parents, you know, this was, this was in two, this was in 2000. 
in one, right? Yeah, I'm not smart enough. I can't learn enough to pass. I passed my prime. I'm 70. I'm just getting in my prime, you know? Um, why would you want me? I'm damaged goods. I mean, these are the things that were some of my critical parent messages. And, and you know, I went along doing that, do a lot of AA service. I've had uh, high service in AA. I got co-opted at a year sober and ended up serving on uh, service committees and steering committees and both uh, big and small AA. And, uh, and then uh, in 2006, the Red Bull came out. And a friend of mine uh, called me up and said, man, you got to come get this book with me. <clears throat> and there was one meeting in South Florida left, in Hollywood, Florida. It wasn't much of a meeting, but they had the books. And I went and I bought like three copies. And I came back to Miami and started a meeting. And that was, I always say there's two recovery dates for me. You know, when I, three really, when I started AA, which, you know, without being sober, you can't do this stuff. And then when I, you know, determined I was an adult child in 2000, but my real recovery began with the red book and the yellow book. And I devoured those books. And uh, that's really started my journey in recovery as well. Because I like bought a case of books and it didn't come. And <coughs> I was working on a uh, AA convention in San Antonio, I think it was 2005. And a and, uh, case didn't come and I called up world service at that point and at that point you must understand aa world aca world service was selling the red book out of us out of a uh, service bay uh, you know in a, a storage storage bay with a couple volunteers no office no anything i mean it was down and uh, shoveling those books out and i ended up on the phone with this guy now Mulmer gillum dead now and a uh, 10 minute conversation went to an hour. and We were very close until he died. And he was the one who actually put the Red Book together. Um, some other people had done research for a long time and then they uh, were never gonna get done. And he and another woman named Claudia Black, um, who should, you know, she was a major contributor. Um, and they, he was an editor and a writer in a newspaper in Tulsa, Oklahoma, nasty town. And they put the Red Book together. It's not a perfect book, but it's a great book. It saved the fellowship. We would not be here without it. We, would, we were at less than 300 meetings. We're now over 3,000 listed meetings. There's probably another thousand, at least, of you know private step meetings and different groups that people do. You know, with Zoom, we have no idea what's going on out there. I am. I am actually vice chairman of ACA Worldwide. I serve in that position and I got uh, two and a half more years on the board. Uh, if I stay in, if the, if the body approves me again in April. So, um, and it's high service, it's a lot of work, but it's also, I know it saves lives, it saves mine. Um, interesting statistic, the highest rate of suicide in AA is after 20 years, because people know that drugs and alcohol don't work for them. No, and that's a sad statistic. And I, I know because I know people who come into ACA with literally a gun in their mouth from AA and they're still here and they're loving it and they're our biggest proponents. But so the yellow book came out and I ate that book and uh, I did it with groups. You know, it's about a year and a half in private, you know, in a major group. It was, I did it with my therapist who was longtime sober 
uh, had done ACA stuff back when Bradshaw stuff in the, uh, you know, back in the like 90s and late 80s, you know, in the 80s, they were a lot of big meetings, the kind of the therapist kind of ran it and they didn't really have a lot of solutions. They'd have physical people who had have psychic breaks and pretty wild back then from the stories I heard. And uh, uh, it was funny, it was uh, traumatic as well. I looked just like her younger brother who died of alcoholism about 10 years before. He never could get sober. So we both cried a lot working on that yellow book, you know. After one session, she said to me, David, she said, uh, do you have anything to do this afternoon? I said, no. She said, here, you know, therapist asked you permission to give you advice, you know, and, and uh, I had granted her that book line and sinker. And she said, David, you love other people the way you think you want to be loved. And you love yourself the way your parents loved you. And they did the best they could, but it was weird. And I just went, uh oh. And I had to meditate on that, you know, it was, uh, I'm a long time meditator and it, my parents tried, but they didn't have the skills. You know? and, and that was a rough one, you know? And uh, so I went through that yellow book. We have a great meetings that started in Miami and all of a sudden we got several meetings in Miami and we got a bunch of meetings in Fort Lauderdale again and Palm Beach. And actually one of the oldest meetings is in Palm Beach, one that Tony Allen would go to toward the end of his life. And uh, uh, and that's been a, just a wonderful journey. I uh, I got asked to serve a long time ago on the board, and I turned it down. I had a father with Alzheimer's. I was working for the government, and I was a little busy, you know. And uh, and I needed more seasoning, you know. As Adam said, you know, we're not elders; we're just seasoned, you know. It's you know, it's uh, you know. When I look at somebody who's fifty as young, it kind of like cracks me up, you know. But they're young, you know. Can I tell you? But so my life in recovery has been just a blessing. It hasn't all been easy, but it's been it's been great. You know, I uh, I've done a, a lot of work in this thing and, and found some amazing things. You know, like like my PTSD. I didn't really, you know, I would I knew some things were wrong in me even in early recovery. You know. It, Somebody who loved me gave me any you know, constructive criticism. I took it as a threat. And I knew intellectually, you know, that they cared about me. And it was something they were trying to teach me. And I would just like lock up like shields up on a Star Trek, you know. Before I got in recovery, I had this thing. I didn't deserve it, right? A lot of ACAs have that. And I had uh, made a show for Home Box Office, a TV special, my first national show. It was a huge success. Great review in the New York Times. And I'm going to HBO for a meeting and I'm tearing up. I'm reading this thing on the subway and I'm playing. And it's not joy. My inner child was telling me I wasn't worth it. I was going to get there and they're going to say, oh, Mr. My last name, we know who you are now. <clears throat> Give us back all the tapes and all the masters and all the contracts and go away. It's my copyright, my corporation. And I get there and they give me another show, you know, but that inner child was still not ex able to accept praise, even from the freaking New York Times, you know. Um, and that was part of like, something's wrong here. I was, I was still drinking at the time. But uh, anyway, um, I'm more proud of that show now than I was then. 
as a, and, and so I kept working on this stuff and and we uh, Omer we uh, you know it's a year and a half to go through Yellow Book and Omer was a character and the guy who put together the Red Book and he said well you can do it in twelve weeks and he sent me this like how to do the first step in twelve weeks and I told him he was out of his freaking mind. And some friends of mine in Fort Lauderdale uh, tried to do it for 16 and they didn't quite make it. And I conferred with them and we turned it into a 20 week step series, which uh, we did in my home group a couple times. You know, it's a way to get through that yellow book without getting bogged down and spending five months on the fourth step, which will um, drive you to drink. Um, we had a couple of people in my home group, like one of them had like a weekend off and decided to do the four step by themselves. You don't want to do that. It's not AA, this is ACA. This is the, the questions in there will, as we say down here in Miami, it'll drag your butt across Biscayne Bay, which is about five miles wide, you know, so, um, but it's worth it. You know, when you start the yellow book and somebody's doing you start the yellow book and if you told them this is about grief and forgiveness, they might not do it. But it is. It's about grieving your childhood and forgiving yourself for everything that happened, besides forgiving other people. So anyway, um, that 20-week thing, and then I started traveling a lot for business and for service. And, and these guys, I know, had started this portal called InTheRooms.com, which is a uh, this is like the Facebook of recovery. There's like 120 meetings a week now. And it had just started, and I and I did a little help with them with AA meetings and uh, turned some people on to it. Kind of went away from it. I didn't. I had face to face meetings, and uh, people kept bothering me to do the twenty week series again. And I was like, I'm traveling. I can't be here all the time. And so I called them up and I say, Hey, I need a meeting. And they're like, Well, David, you know, you got to help these other two meetings out. And I'm like, oh. And we did, and I've been a part of that. There's some people who were there holding it together for a couple of years. We now have seven meetings a week. Um, average attendance is 100. Um, we started one step series with 320. It freaked me out, but it's a, um, it's a wonderful way to introduce the steps. You go through them and you don't get bogged down. You see where you're going. You see kind of what you go through. You see what the outcome can be. And people have done it three or four times, you know, I, I've done it. This is my seventh or eighth that I've leading and I get more out of it. Well, I don't know if I get more out. Of it. I got plenty out of it myself. The stuff I hear, um, the recovery I hear, the lights that come on in people's lives. I mean, it fills up my heart. You know, my telling people there's a couple of them on here that I love them. And I do. I mean, to do this work, you're brave. This is not for the faint of heart. I mean, I heard a statistic that Bradshaw said that <coughs> there was only 14 or 16% of people had a proper upbringing. The rest of them were ACAs. I don't know if I agree with that number, but it's in the ballpark. Now there's degrees, you know, it's kind of like alcoholism where somebody can drink a half a bottle of wine a day, but they have to have that and they're an alcoholic. And somebody can drink two bottles of vodka a day and they're an alcoholic but they have the same traits. And when ACA opened it up and became more aware that it was, um, you know, dysfunctional families, alcoholism also almost keeps people away. You know, I like adult children anonymous myself, where it's, you know, it's divorce, death in a family, mental illness in a family, death of a sibling, drugs, alcohol, prison, all those things. They, uh, and they contribute. 
you know, and uh, they're all represented here, I'm sure, and this crowd of folks, you know. So I, uh, I've just enjoyed this journey so much, you know, and, and world service has been a hoot. You know, I, uh, I got to go to Sweden for a world convention. That was a hoot, you know, people from all over the world. And uh, this year we have a virtual, last year went virtual, this year it's virtual in April because of the COVID. But uh, save your dimes and nickels because in 2022 in San Francisco at the last weekend in April, we're gonna be there. And we're hoping for a great event because we need one. You know, I I don't know about you, but I'm hug deprived with COVID. I need hugs. I need uh, contact with people. You know, I have a small bubble, a few friends that I'm, I mean, I've had my first shot. I get my second one in two weeks and a month after that, I'll feel a little bit more comfortable, but it's still a long journey to get through this one. So there's some of the things I've really done though and really learned to keep doing on a daily basis to stay centered, to stay in recovery. I actually learned it from a girl, woman <coughs> in AA who got sober at 12 years old in Venice Beach, California. And she needed to get sober, she's an alcoholic, raised by two street people who are drug addicts. Came into AA at 12, illiterate, learned to read in the big book, didn't have a dollar to put in the basket until she was 20. She's now a lawyer who represents uh, women who are um, uh, abused. And she had a saying, you know, you don't have to drink to restart your program. Her name is Gail G. June G, I'm sorry. And uh, and that helped me a lot in AA, but it helps me in ACA, you know, because you're gonna revert to the laundry list. Those, those traits are deeply embedded, but I don't have to go all the way down the rabbit hole. I can go, me, I'll do a mudra or I'll go, wait, you know. Um, one of the things that I've studied in the last year is uh, what they call positive psychology, resilient psychology, where, you know, we all talk about a gratitude list and they got like 10, it's like great stuff, you know. And I find that that um, helps me stay centered, you know. It's not just gratitude and they have, they look at it a little differently, like, Gratitude is creative giving. That's an interesting way to look at it. Enjoy is play. I mean, when ACAs get in touch with your inner child and we start to play, it's like, damn. I mean, one of the things that we do in that ninth step is uh, we throw away the book after about the fourth step. The fifth step in the book is like, throw, take it out, throw it away. You know, the, whoever, they were in a hurry. Let me just put it that way. Um, your sponsor is not supposed to write the questions for you. You know, it's, you know, anyway, but we do Tony Allen's work, but sometimes we mix the other literature in there. You know, the ninth step, I changed the ninth step totally and the eighth as well, is what amends are you going to make to your inner child? Sure, there may be amends you make to your children, you know, and, and most good amends, in my opinion, are living amends. You know, I wouldn't use, I couldn't say I'm sorry till I was a couple of years sober because I had used that word up. You know, when you say you're sorry and you repeat the behavior, don't count, you know. But the uh, amends to my inner child, you know, and, and I always love bicycles. Some of my happiest pictures as a child are on a bicycle and until the roof fell in. And uh, a friend of mine showed up at a meeting with a new bicycle. I had a pretty good used bike and that was good enough for me, right? 
and he showed up with a new bike. And I said, oh, in a church parking lot, you know, and, and outside. I said, Dave, his name was Dave. I said, can I, can I ride that around the parking lot? I said, yeah. Rode around the parking lot, went and bought one the next day. And I've had good bikes ever since. And that's when I, I Coconut Grove, where I live, is uh, a bastion of old hippies and millennials and uh, not too many millennials. Um, we keep them up in a different area of town. And we have great bike paths. I don't have to ride the street with cars. You know, they're a little bigger than I am. But I'll be riding my bicycle and I'll be listening to some music in one ear so I can hear the cars in the other. And, and I'm in touch with myself. You know, no longer is that inner child separate from me. I have integrated that inner child where I can be silly. I can be sarcastic in a positive way, not be cutting, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a happy camper. No, I mean, that's part of recovery is becoming a happy camper. I'm not always having rainbows come out of my butt, but I'm pretty, pretty happy with my life. I'm happy with what I do. I have purpose and, uh, uh, and dignity. So some of the other, I mean, that's one of the big ones that we changed, you know, is what amends are you making to your inner child? One of our group members, <coughs> Came to the meeting the next week. She said, I took myself to the movies. Said, I always had to wait till my friend or my partner wanted to go and what they wanted, what movie they wanted to see and if they wanted to bring any food. And then she said, I thought about what you said and I just took myself to the movies and I bought myself a big thing of popcorn and some other candy that they have at movie theaters. And she said, I was happy as a clam. No. And I was like, yeah, that's making amends to yourself. No? Um, I, 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 I espouse the theory that you have to be smart enough or rich enough to die someplace warm. So I like it down here in South Florida. I mean, I grew up in winters and I, and I know winter well. If I never shovel snow again, it'll be okay. You know, I can put up with it for a week or two, but I just can't take it anymore. I am getting old and uh, maybe I'm getting smart too for me. But there's things that I do down here that are consistent with that. My um, happy places at my sailing club, which is there's some big rich clubs. And this is like the funky sailing only, uh, not a yacht club. It's a sailing club. And I have an old sailboat I share with a sponsee. And it's uh, just being on the water, you know, paddle my kayak around. Look at the crocodiles. We have this is the only place in the world you have crocodiles and alligators. And you don't go poke them, but you can look at them, you know. We have one called Chewy, and he's pretty big. <coughs> we have divers that clean the bottom of the boats. And I asked him, I said, do you worry about Chewy? And they go, no, the bull sharks we worry about, not the, not the crocodile. So anyway, but those are the things that keep me centered, you know. Doing my meetings keep me centered. I mean, I go to meetings and I listen. You know, I uh, Zoom is pretty cool for me because as a board member, you get known. And, you know, I am just another bozo on the bus. You know, I've been doing this a long time and I do a lot of service, but I'm just as messed up as anybody. I just, I just work on it a lot and I've made great progress. As that saying of the 90 year old cello master and why he kept practicing and he told his apprentice, I'm starting to see some improvement, you know, and that's why I keep doing this. You know, my therapist is retired and I call her up every six months and we either have coffee or we have a checkup. You know, um, I work with several therapists and uh, 
love them to death. You know, they're, uh, they do a lot of frontline work for ACA and they're so glad we're back. They send a lot of people to us. And we actually just finished a uh, trifold for therapists that'll go out within a month or two that's really going to be helpful. And we got a new book coming out this summer that's the uh, Loving Parent Guidebook, which will knock your socks off, right? I'm really excited about that, you know. Um, and ACA excites me. I mean, this is a, I, I say on board meetings, you know, we're riding a tiger, holding on to the ears. You know, we are growing so fast and we thought we we're going to slow down with COVID. Uh-uh. You know, and at the end of COVID is going to go insane because, you know, any psychologist will tell you the increase in depression, the in, increase in child abuse, domestic violence, alcoholism, relapse in AA, it's off the chart, you know, and we got some serious months to go. So there's going to be a lot of work to do. I mean, it's funny in ACA, you know, you got the sponsor fellow traveler model. And, you know, the authority figure bothers people sometimes. And that's a tricky thing, you know. Um, some people will come in and, oh, I want to sponsor. And a friend of mine says, why don't you work on your trauma first? You know, she's a little tougher than I am, you know. Um, but fellow traveler works because we're all fellow travelers at the end of the day. There's not an authority figure, you know. Um, we're all just, you know, working toward the common good of helping people recover from a dysfunctional childhood which is, I say, 80% or 90% of the world. It's kind of like dating in AA. You know, the odds are good, but the goods are odd, you know. Um, same thing in ACA. You know, we're not attracted to anybody who's not in ACA. You just try to find some that are a little bit balanced, you know. Everybody I have ever been with, I've looked back at it, has been an adult child. Just, you know, uh, it's a go back, didn't your mother have like, you know, electric shocks after your sister was born? Oh yeah, I said, okay, I was just checking, you know. But uh, I got a few minutes left here on this. And uh, the other thing too that, that I find is so important is keeping a beginner's mind. And I'm a practitioner, I'm kind of a loose American Buddhist and uh, Suzuki wrote The Beginner's Mind, which is one of the great books that brought Buddhism and Zen to the West. And it, one of my favorite sayings, and I keep it above my desk, you know, it's in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert, there are few. You know, and there was a story of this great philosopher comes to see him and he's having tea and guy sits down and he's already, you know, and monks pouring tea and keeps pouring tea and it's flowing and flowing out. And the guy says, what are you doing? He says, well, if you're already full, there's not much I can give you. You know, monks are fun. They're like, I've actually had the honor of studying with several of them, including the Dalai Lama. They're comedians. You know, if they're not laughing and they're not smiling, eh, then that's not my, not my brand, you know. I mean, Pema Children, a lot of the stuff she writes, straight up ACA stuff, you know. Um, uh, Jack Cornfield, I, I use a forgiveness meditation in, in my step studies. I've, uh, I spoke at a convention of ACA in front of a whole lot of people and I had it up. They did the, they did the call and response on the forgiveness meditation, which is people tell you to forgive, but they don't tell you how, right? And Cornfield, who is one of the first Americans who actually became a full-on Tibetan Buddhist. I mean, that's like 50 years ago. I mean, he had to spend a year in a cave. 
you're in a graveyard. The graveyards in Tibet are up where it's frozen. They chop you up and the birds eat you. You know, it's, uh, they said, are you kidding, right? You know, but he did. And he's, when you hear Jack talk, it's not like he's speaking some other language. He's westernized it to where you understand him. And the forgiveness meditation is wonderful. It has like three parts. You know, first, you ask forgiveness for those you've harmed. No, knowingly or unknowingly through action or action or inaction. You know, think about that one for a while. And then for us, we ask forgiveness for ourselves of how we've harmed ourselves, knowingly or unknowingly. And then the last one is we ask, we forgive those who've harmed us. Now that one can bring up stuff, but they're very clear about it. It's like you may not get it the first time. It may bring up harshness, but you keep working on it. And it's, you know, it's a form of meta meditation where it really leads you to love the people close to you. But then you try to expand that and love some more. You know, one of my Buddhist teachers told me to smile. Well, actually it was the Dalai Lama was asked how to help world peace. And he said, smile at the next person you see. Hmm. Seems trite, but it works, you know. And I would like always try to smile at the checkout people. You know, most people treat them as machines, you know. I didn't want to take them home to lunch. I just want to smile at them. And where I live in near Coral Gables, there's one big black lady was, you know, she was always just stern, you know. And I'd get in her line even if I had to wait. And I'd just smile and say hi. After a few months, one time she looked at me and she realized that I wasn't fooling around. And she looked at me and she smiled. And her smile lit up the room. I mean, it was like, just bless me to this day, you know, that the light came on. And when she'd see me, she'd smile. You know, that's, that's recovery for me, you know. So that's, you know, smiling at the next person I see has been really good. I mean, I'll tell you what the other thing is, and close with this really, is that um, the thing that I'm probably the most proud of in my recovery and in my life is breaking the chain of alcoholism and dysfunction. Um, I got sober when my son was 11. <clears throat> and he uh, went out to magnet school program and then he joined, uh, uh, went to Georgia Tech on an ROTC program. He's now an executive officer on a, on a uh, Virginia class submarine. And he's a wonderful husband. He's got a wonderful two daughters. I just spent 40 minutes on a Zoom call with him. They're in Groton, Connecticut. And he's funny, he, uh, he loves AA. He told me he would never have gone to banking school without me getting sober and or Georgia Tech. And uh, the Navy helped me pay for that, but they wouldn't pay for all of it. And he's funny. I was with him some years ago in his garage, and he kind of looked at me with that. You know, dads and granddads spend time in a garage fixing stuff and cleaning it up and all that stuff. And he looked at me and said, Dad, I'm always going to have a funny relationship with alcohol because both my ex-wife and I are alcoholics. She's a functional, um, which I think Robin Williams called a paraplegic lap dancer. Uh, but she's pretty functional. And, uh, and, he, and he said, you know, beer for breakfast. He said, I could do that. He said, but I know where that went, where that went. He, uh, I came home one day from work when he was in high school and I had fired somebody and I was bitching about it. And he looked at me and said, well, dad, what was your part in it? If you've been in AA, you know, it's like I took him to too many meetings. You know, he understood that stuff. And he also devoured the ACA Red Book. He knows he is. You know, he looked at me and he said, you know, 
I didn't have to go down that road. I didn't have to become a pickle. It's an old saying in AA that once your cucumber turns into a pickle, you can't go back to being a cucumber. Kind of a stupid saying. You hear that stuff in AA and you go, ah. And 10 years later, you're spouting it. You know, I mean, you know, it's like it's gospel. But he, he leaves a lot of men. And he says the tools of AA and ACA make him a much better leader. And he's a wonderful dad. He's a, he has two great daughters, a great wife. They have a lot of fun. He knows how to have fun. He knows he's living a great life. He's contributing to the world. Um, and he's a character. I mean, he's an executive officer on a ballistic submarine and he retreats the Dalai Lama and he's a vegan. You go figure that one out, you know. Now, people who know me go, well, that figures, you know, but, you know, it's kind of odd, you know. Um, but that's a big deal for me. You know, that's breaking the chain. You know, that's what we're trying to do. You know, you know, you, you know, teach your children. They'll live to tell you, you know. And, and I love this fellowship. It's been a lifesaver for me. It's been a lifesaver for a lot of people I know. And uh, I'm glad to be here. And it's been an honor to be with you all. And if you want a topic, you know, any of the traits work or the flip side or the opposites, but the other one is really what amends are you thinking about making? Will you continue to make to your inner child? That's a good one. Thank you. Thank you, David. Original Woo -hoo -hoo. gangster. Thank you. Great work. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Terrific, David. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. That was awesome. Thank you, David. See, I can even take a compliment now. I couldn't for years. Thank you all.